Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is brought to you by Anchor. Are you thinking about doing your own podcast, but you don't know how? Well, have you heard about Anchor? It's actually the platform that I'm hosting through this right now. And yes, it's free. Not only is it free, it's super easy to use. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so much more. It's really that easy. And guess what? You can actually make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's a big deal. So it's really everything you need in one place to make an amazing podcast. All you have to do is download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Raised by like white Americans, raised by other Koreans who immigrated here. But um, Did it remind you of your dad because it's like a fuck up still always trying to do his best. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So when, when it was going back towards like the reasons why he kept uh, Antonio makes these bad decisions. Um, it makes perfect sense to me too, um, whether it be a case of uh, like a massive fear of abandonment. Um, and in five, four, three, two, one. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Genius Kashi. <laughs> another episode of the Genius Brain Podcast. We have been your friends every Thursdays and Sundays. And this is just really fun conversation, man. We're just here chopping it up, having a good motherfucking time. I have my host today with me, Ed 
Park of Ed Park VP here. What's up? Long hair, don't care. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I've always been thinking about cutting it for a while. I haven't cut it since Valentine's Day 2020. Really? And then like the month after COVID hit, like right around the time I should have got a haircut. And I haven't cut it since. <laughs> I wish I could grow my hair like you. I can't do it. My hair's too fine. It's too straight. It's just straight and too fine. <laughs> and it, it just looks like Japanese pussy hair, dude. Like, it just doesn't, it does not, it does not look yeah, good at all. Yeah, I get lucky with a little bit of the, 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 the little waves wave at the end. It looks like, end. where did you get your hair done? <laughs> <laughs> just wash it and blow dry it. Yeah, dude. That's it. From God himself. Yeah. You know, um, did you ever get into uh, mukbangs? A little bit. Yeah. There's sometimes where it's just like, uh, Something I, I can't turn away sometimes <laughs> like when I watch people. There's certain mukbangs that I don't fucking like, man. There's ones where um people chew with their mouth open. <laughs> <laughs> or they talk. With I, I want to go into the screen and choke them alive. <laughs> it's so bad. So oh, no, no. <laughs> number one, I just don't like people chewing with their mouth open in the first place. Yeah. I think it's fucking obnoxious. I think it's disgusting. Yeah. Frankly. Second thing I don't like about it reminds me of my dad. <laughs> My dad, it's a nerve, <laughs> would chew with his mouth open ferociously, dude. <laughs> really? And just non fucking stop. He doesn't really do it as much now. I think my mom made a comment about it. Just chewing with his mouth open. You would think this fool was a camel in a past life. <laughs> like my fucking word, guy. He's like, probably not getting enough oxygen. Yeah. His mouth closed. <laughs> just, I'm lying, I'm lying. And what he would say is like, it just makes the food taste better, yeah. which I think <laughs> is like a Chinese, Korean, or just Asian thing in general. I've heard about that, like burping at the table, undoing your buckle, your belt buckle is a sign of, wow, that was a great meal. Yeah. It's like with Japanese people, when you slurp your noodles. Right. It is a sign that you you're enjoying your meal. Mm. It's a compliment, and also too, like the air and everything else, and like makes your food taste better when you suck it in, and it cools down the noodles as well. So All there's right. like a thing about it. But my dad would chew his fucking shit so loud, dude. I remember I got my ass beat one time, mm-hmm. so I was doing my homework right. And my dad, he has a very odd way of trying to connect to his kids. It's never him coming in and say, "Hey, how was your day today?" or "What you're doing." He just does things in just the most socially absurd way. So he just comes in into my room, no knock, no nothing, comes in and I'm doing my homework. He leans over, puts his hand on my desk, puts one against my seat. He's like rocking me and he's just chewing gum. (laughs) What are you doing? Yeah. The buanya. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I'm like, I'm doing my homework right now. He goes, wouldn't it? (laughs) <laughs> just imagine somebody chewing like big red gum in your ear and I'm like I looked at my dad and I was like Appa you're chewing so loud in my ear he's like why are you in such a bad mood and then he slaps me upside my head and he goes out to get a stick to beat my ass and I'm like oh my god like I had to get my listen to gum being chewed in my ear and I'm gonna get my ass beat. Yeah, it's like no, you're in the wrong. Day. Yeah. Can't you see? I'm like, yo, what the fuck, man? It's because you put him in a bad mood. I was just standing here, my yeah. own business. Or, you're an asshole. Exactly. So he had to come through and beat my fucking ass, dude. Like if I just go through all these, this, if I could just tally every time I got my ass beat for, and I didn't know the reason why. <laughs> It's so many. It's like sometimes I would just walk in the house and I'm like, yo, some shit's going to happen. Oh, <laughs> you man. Know? Something is going to fucking happen. I, I I fuck something up. And it kind of reflected in me and Mario's relationship at the beginning. I used to be hyper defensive about stuff sometimes. Right. Um, 
And so was she, because I th- we both grew up in Korean households where every time a question is asked, it's because they're trying to figure out a way to beat our ass. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, if you're asking a question, that means you're already dedicated to fucking me up today. Yeah. I just don't know why yet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like, oh, did you uh, take out the trash today? And the first thing I think is, I don't think, yeah, I wonder if I did. I think, did I not take out the trash? And am I going to get a fucking ass whooping right now? So like everything is done in fear. Yeah. Everything yeah. is out of fear. There's no like positive reinforcement. Right. It's all negative. The reason why you do something is so you don't die yeah pretty much yeah. you gotta do this so you don't get your shit kicked out not because it's a good responsible thing to do <laughs> it's to the point now where i don't i'm not very good with compliments right you right. know i Me see neither. a lot of like you know whites do this very well probably because mm. they grew up in a world where their parents when you did something great they go good job you know for what i'm going to learn how to do is give verbal affirmation to my kids in the future because i'm more like oh you clean your room that's what you're supposed to do, bitch. Right. <laughs> you know, fucking look for a pat on your ass about this stuff. Right. But it doesn't really create this positive um, communication with your kids, right? right. I, I don't think anyways. And I'm seeing a lot of my friends do this with their kids now. When they do something great they or do something good, they give them a compliment and let them know that they're doing a great job. Right. Right. Sometimes it's too excessive, in my personal opinion. And a lot of people are seeing this now with their kids where these kids always get praised and they never get chastised. So when it comes to, mm. you know, facing adversity, they, they crumble. Right. I, I have a friend who needed to know that they were doing a good job. And I was like, why? You know, and then you'd be like, can I, I get a it. hug for him? I'm like, no, you know, and they were genuinely hurt. Yeah. Because they're more used to that kind of <laughs> reinforcement. And I'm just like, what? No. Like, listen, like I've, you know, worked with people. I worked with somebody who told me, that she never got yelled at by her parents once in her life. Wow. Ever. How she turn out? Pretty good. Pretty fucking good. Yeah. Um, I think she is, I think every kid's different. I think she was a pretty well-behaved kid. Like she didn't, just didn't stir up shit. And that's how she is now as an adult. And you would think this is an amazing thing. The only hard part about when I used to work with this girl was that the hard part was, is that it is impossible for you to not fuck up something right you will fuck up right people will bring especially in a work environment people are going to bring up the stuff that you didn't do well so you can improve well when somebody's over here sucking your ass for fucking damn near 25 (laughs) years of your life 27 25 years of your life and you're not used to people giving you critique you think everything is gold right you think everything that you do is damn near amazing and so let's say we were working on a project together or we were going to you know write something together do something when you're in this creative space, and Ed knows too, not all of our ideas are great and people will make new suggestions. How this person would take it was, I'm not adequate enough. Um, this person hates me. Why did they feel that they needed to voice this? I feel disrespected. When it's really just, hey, this is my opinion about something. Mm. Because they're so used to consistent praise over everything. And so sometimes when we work on these projects, these ideas aren't great, right? Mm. And it fails. Well, guess what? When we work on projects and we do things sometimes, it's going to fail. It's, right. it's, it's highly possible if something is new. And so, you know, years ago when um, it was me and another guy that we were working on this comedy project together and didn't like her idea, we thought like, hey, maybe we should shift this with some of the characters. She was just like, hit us up after. He was like, hey, can I talk to you guys? Like, I just felt really disrespected today. And then both of us were like, what? <laughs> and then she was like, yeah, like, you know, I, I thought my ideas were great. 
And both you guys didn't like it. I'm like, <laughs> excuse me? And? and so, you know, I had a long conversation with her. And I'm like, why do you feel like you're being disrespected? She goes, I just thought my idea was great. I was like, cool. Here's the thing. And once again, you don't really know me that well. But do you know that your shit stinks? <laughs> like when you shit, it smells just like my shit smells. Right. You are not above me. I am not beneath you. We are all equal. So when you have an idea that we don't like, that's not a reflection on you as a person individually. Yeah. This is a workshop. We are working out ideas. 90% of the stuff we put out is not going to be great. You grew up differently than I did. You and I have a different sense of humor. We're going to throw out ideas and we're going to try things. And we feel like it doesn't work. We're going to vocalize it. And then we're going to meet somewhere in the middle and create something better. Yeah. Not all your ideas are gold. And if you think that we have to entertain every idea that you have just because you personally feel affected, we are going to sit here and waste time and create garbage. We need friction. Friction creates growth. Yeah. And so- we started talking and I was like, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. There's absolutely no way in this workspace that you think that I'm being, dis- that I'm being disrespectful. And I think it's uncalled for, for you to have this, set, this side conversation about us disrespecting you. And if you tell other people this because we had a disagreement, a creative disagreement, I don't understand why you feel this way. I was like, was it the way that I said it? Could I have changed the way that I said it? She goes, no, it wasn't like how you said it. I just felt disrespected that you didn't think my idea was good. (laughs) I'm like, okay, now I'm getting frustrated. So we had a conversation and she talked about how she grew up. Never got yelled at. Like Mm. when she, my parents never really disagreed with anything that I did because I was a good kid. Mm. I'm not your parent. I'm Mm. not mommy and daddy. You and I are equals in this space. When we work on these ideas, not every single idea that you shit out of your ass is going to be gold. Same thing for me. You don't like the things that I do. You speak the fuck up. Yeah. Don't agree and go, yeah, that's great. You don't think it's great or you think that something can be different. Say it with, you know, be polite about it. You know, have tact. But you should disagree. Did yeah. you disagree with some of the stuff? Like He goes, yeah, I thought some of the characters. You should have said that. You shouldn't have sat there and then just pra- given me praise, which I already thought was fucking weird. <laughs> you know, I was like, how are all these ideas that I put out amazing? Yeah, like every single one. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what is this? But then the other partner was there and then he would be like, ah, that doesn't make sense for characters. Like, let's switch this up a bit. Right. So, you know, it's just, <laughs> I don't know. Did right? anyone make it there? Did Well, it's when people make it their hill to die on, like their idea is great and it's the only way to go, right? Yeah. Where, that, where it's like project will live or die. Mm-hmm. And I've been in that situation where there was this project, I was part of this company and the network manager or was acting as a producer. He was a, he was four weeks late to a deadline, right? And then like the after about, you know, yeah, that much time they brought the project to me and I didn't even know what was happening. Like, uh, and I was an internal editor. They brought it to me to fix, right? And then they were like, we've run out of ideas. Like, this is what the director or the producer wanted. And we they put all those things in the video, but the client hates it. They don't want any of it. Like, you got to fix this, right? With no notes either of what they, the, the client wants either. So, you know, I had to just take whatever was shot and re-edit everything and do my own text titles and do my own words and all this stuff, like my own copy. And then they approved it, they liked it, and they put it up, right? Next thing I know, that producer's in my office, like comes in and he's like, how dare you? I was like, huh? Yeah. (laughs) He's like, you didn't do anything that I said in my notes. You didn't do anything in the script. 
that you didn't listen to any of my suggestions. And now this video is up online and it's nothing that I wanted out of it. And I was just like, everything you wanted made this project four weeks late. Not accounting the time, how much you had before to make it. Yeah. The weeks you had before, but the fact that you went an extra four weeks later with all your ideas and they were rejecting all of them. Mm -hmm. I did what I had to do. And he was like, he's used the word audacity. He's like, I cannot believe this. (laughs) And he walked out like, like I fucked up the entire project when the other network managers, the post-production supervisors, they were like, thank you. You saved this project. We still get to keep this client, you know? So it's like, I had to read that shit. Like, wow, what a fucking cry baby. Yeah. I mean, for him, he was just like, his issue was, I'm going to get fired because yeah. of you. <laughs> Cause I didn't do my job. Right. You know? Right. And you did something that actually saved his ass. And instead he would have been smart and been a, a regular asshole instead and just taking the credit. <laughs> yeah. And says, yeah, those were all my ideas. Yeah. I was used to that. Yeah. It's like, why don't you just do that instead? That would have made, that would have made more sense. Yeah. I would have expected that. Yeah. It's like, you know, I just saved your job, asshole. Yeah. Yeah. That happened a lot. Yeah. Well today guys, we are going to do a movie review, which is highly requested by you guys. Um, and ladies and gents and women and men and non-binary yeah, and all of them, all Everyone. of the above. Yes. I got to be very careful now. Yeah. Everybody is what I'm trying to say. No disrespect. <laughs> um, of Blue Bayou, the film. Mm. Now Blue Bayou is a film that uh, my, one of our personal friends, Justin Chan uh, wrote, directed and was the lead actor in this film. Also the uh, writer, director of Gook. Also the writer, director of Gook. Yeah. Um, I personally thought this was an amazing film. Um, one of the things that's really, I mean, shout out to Auntie Chang, the DP. Yeah. Shout out to Reynolds, the the, the lead editor in right. this. Ray, Ray. Um, shout out to Eunice, the costume design. Fucking amazing. Just everything about this film was really great. And once again, I think a lot of people are going to say, well, it's because he's your personal friend. And this is why you love it so much. Cool. I didn't like Miss Purple a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I haven't gotten to see it. I, I contributed to the fucking uh, fundraiser too, the Kickstarter. Oh, really? I was supposed to get a Blu-ray. Like, okay, well, I haven't seen it because it was we, an exist. We have to talk to Justin Chan about that. But um, Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. 
my lovely genius brain farts. This podcast is brought to you by Fume. Ever tried to break a bad habit and felt like you're climbing Everest and flip-flops? Yeah, we've been there too, but here's a breath of fresh air. Fume, it's not about giving up. It's about switching up, baby. Fume takes your habit and simply makes it better, healthier, and a whole lot more enjoyable. What is Fume, you ask? Fume is an innovative, award-winning flavored air device that does just that. Instead of vapor, Fume uses flavored air. Instead of electronics, Fume is completely natural. And instead of harmful chemicals, Fume uses delicious flavors. You get it. Instead of bad, Fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy that makes replacing your bad habit easy. I keep one in my car just because I'm a fidgety guy. And guess what? I'd be puffing on that delicious herbal tea vapor, my friends. Nothing bad for you in there. And definitely, definitely fun to use. My friends, start the year off right with the good habit by going to tryfume.com slash genius and getting the journey pack today. Fume is giving the listeners of the show 10% off when they use my code genius to help make starting the good habit that much easier. Start the good habit at tryfume.com slash genius to save 10% off the journey pack today. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This podcast is brought to you by Four Sigmatic, a wellness company that is well-known for its delicious mushroom coffee. Now, hold on. Before you go ahead and judge me, let me explain to you how dope this is. Four Sigmatic's Mushroom Coffee is real organic, fair trade, single origin Arabica coffee with lion's mane mushroom for productivity and chaga mushroom for immune support. See, I start my day with Four Sigmatic ground mushroom coffee with lion's manes instead of regular coffee because it helps me focus and get my shit done. Mushroom coffee is also easy on my gut and it doesn't leave me with that awful jittery feeling or that mid day crash. I, if I'm going to go ahead and do this, I actually do this through um, cold brew. I actually use a cold brew situation with it. I get a little cloth, put the Four Sigmatic Mushroom Coffee in there, and I steep it into the uh, the water for about a couple of days. And then I have cold brew in the morning ready to go for the next few days until I run out. It's dope. We've worked out an exclusive offer with Four Sigmatic on their best-selling mushroom coffee, but this is just for Genius Brain listeners. Get up to 40% off plus free shipping on mushroom coffee bundles. To claim this deal, you must go to foursigmatic.com slash brain genius. This offer is only for Genius Brain listeners and is not available on their regular website. You'll save up to 40% and get free shipping. So go right now to foursigmatic.com slash brain genius and fuel your productivity and creativity with some delicious mushroom coffee. It's very heavy. It's yeah. you're gonna walk away feeling something about this, right? Um, if you guys want to know the background to this, is it's a Korean adoptee story. So, um, especially after nine eleven, a lot of adoptees were getting deported. Yes, um, I actually changed my name to so original. For, so for my whole life, when I first came to this country, my parents on my birth certificate had my name as Hoingu. So in Cook So. Yeah. My dad was so scared that I was going to get deported because that we were all going to get deported that um, he wanted us to change our names and get our citizenship immediately. And it was very fucking expensive. Very easy to get your citizenship, by the way. It's just the process is really long. Yeah. The questions are very simple. 
um, to prove that you're an American, even though obviously when you hear me speak, I am fucking American. But my father was so scared that we were going to get deported that immediately when that shit happened, a few months later, my dad was like, uh, not a few months later, but it was like a few years later when he heard these stories of like Korean adoptees and Chinese uh, Chinese Americans and even people who are Korean that aren't adoptees that just immigrated here early on and had an, a green card were getting deported. Didn't matter what the fuck it was. Yeah. So he got scared. I got my American citizenship. I changed my name legally to David. And then my middle name um, is now uh, Inguk. Oh, lucky. My, I, I can't believe my parents didn't give me my Korean name as my middle name. I just don't have one. You don't have a Korean name at all? Well, I, I have one, Chonghyun. Okay. But then they didn't make it my official middle name. Meanwhile, my sister's middle name is a Korean name. I was like, what you forget about? You know, because you know you're loved. Yeah. That's why. <laughs> Same story. Dude. Yeah. Okay. Edward knows he's loved. He doesn't yeah. need a middle name. No, yeah, but um, I, I feel you on that. Like, uh, not just the, I, I've, I've seen a lot of, um, yeah, like of my friends who aren't, uh, born in America, get <laughs> sent off to back to Korea. I've seen families split up because a couple of people I know, their mothers were sent back to Korea. You know who we should have on this podcast? We should have um, um, Sam on here. Sam, which do one? you do you know this? Uh, do you know him? So Sam actually was in Korea. Oh, okay. And I'm the surfer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> he was born in the United States. Yeah, this is yeah. this is the this is the opposite story. He was born. He was. This is not funny. It's funny. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not supposed I, to be funny. I just can't believe this. What kind of yeah, shit? it's crazy. It's crazy. It's born crazy. in the United States, goes to Korea, right? So the thing is, if you are a Korean citizen, which I was, right? Um, I am now an American citizen. I gave up my citizenship in Korea. If you have an active Korean citizenship from South Korea, uh, as a male, you have to serve two years in the military. Right. So my brother, when he was 18, I was what, 13, 14 at the time? Mm-hmm. Um, we went to Korea um, before I went uh, went to high school. When we were leaving, two guys in Korean military grabbed my brother and dragged him away. What the fuck? Because they're saying that he was leaving the country without serving his military dues. So his time in the military. So my mom just going like, what the fuck are you guys doing? They're like, he's 18. He can't leave. He needs he's he needs to serve his time in the military. So they were going to take him into the military. I remember this as a kid at the airport because I had to carry like two jars of kimchi and all this like <laughs> that we had to bring over in our carry-on. Yeah. And they were just going to fucking take him away. And then my mom went over there. She had to show proof, you know, that he was only in the country for two, two weeks. Because mm. I think if you stay there past a month and you're a Korean citizen and you have a green card in the States, you can get taken to the military. Damn. But we were only there for two weeks. We were way below that time limit. Yeah. And so, but they tried to take my brother away. Well, the story about Sam, Sam goes to Korea, right? He was there for, I think, two weeks too, or like a week. And they dragged him away and they put him in the military and they wouldn't let him go home. He was not born in Korea. He was born in America. I can't believe that he just had to go through that. He wasn't a Korean citizen whatsoever. The dude barely spoke Korean. And they put him on the DMZ. Yeah. Shit. Damn, dude. Hilarious. Not funny. Yeah. (laughs) It's just (laughs) audacious. Yeah. (laughs) What the fuck? Something happened either with paperwork or something else, something about a family tree. I forgot how it was described to me by mutual friends, but he went, and by the way too, he was fat. 
Yeah. Fat, out of shape, happy, jolly, good guy surfer serves military time in Korea because of some bullshit that happened, doesn't speak Korean, and he had to join the Korean fucking military for two years, and he was born in America. Damn, dude. Could you imagine how fucking funny of a story is that for a film? (laughs) (laughs) You want to do a fucking story, Justin? Do that one. How funny is that? That shit like can only be portrayed. I mean, it does can't only, but then it's just like so it like I said, because it's so audacious, it can only be a comedy. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean let's let's start breaking down this film a little bit, right? I mean, obviously we only saw it once. It's a film that you're if you enjoyed it or you felt weird about it, you should probably watch it again. It's yeah. it's just a lot to unpack, right? Because it is about a the the adoptee story, right? There's a lot of like these stories that aren't told, and I think the film was trying to tell the story. Um so the main character has a a daughter-in-law because he's married to a girl from Louisiana. Stepdaughter. Oh, yes. Uh, not daughter-in-law, stepdaughter. Yeah. He's married to a girl in Louisiana. She had a kid with another guy who was the probably the antagonist of the film. Yeah, he was a, the police. Yeah, he was yeah. a policeman. He was an asshole in this film, or supposedly, right? Yeah. And props to the the wife. I can't believe they, they got her book. She's for Swedish, the too. Yeah, she's a ex machina. Ex machina, yeah, yeah, dude, amazing actress. Yeah. yeah, and so this he's the film kind of in the first part does something that I really, really do appreciate. This is what we're talking about: his character backstory, this relationship that he has with his daughter, and like kind of how American he is. So, uh, what's Justin's character's name? I forgot. Antonio. So Antonio, his name is Antonio LeBlanc. Yeah, I believe right. Um, he is a clear depiction of what an American is, right? An immigrant American, right? Who was born, mm-hmm. who wasn't born here, but was brought to this country, but has his whole American experience. He even has like that Baton Rouge, like Louisiana he's accent. A, the very, he's a product of his environment. Yes. Yeah. So Justin does like this Louis, he has like, like this Louisiana drawl to the way that he speaks. Yeah. And clearly he's as gooky as it looks. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that was the great juxtaposition to see someone like him. Um, being this straight up Korean face, but putting on this Louisiana Bayou accent. This is America. Yeah. And that, he just that alone embodied what America is, right? Yeah. And um, his character in this story is an adoptee. Um, doesn't, he has glimpses of who his mother is in the beginning of the film, right? You kind of see this woman and there, she's singing this song. Like this, this, this lullaby. The lullaby, yeah. Yeah, and what you find out later on in the film is that that lullaby is what his mom was singing at the time when she tried to kill him. Yeah, postpartum abortion. Yes. Yeah, basically, <laughs> yeah. that's what it is. Yes. Right? So she tried to drown him Yeah. Um, in a bayou, right, mm. in Korea before he was given up to adoption. So this is kind of like the on, onslaught of his character and who he is. Early in the film, he kind of sets this relationship up with his daughter. The The young actress, the little girl who played his daughter, was so fucking good. Right. Yeah. How was really amazing good. was she? Everybody's she was acting was amazing. It was so good. And by the way, this film is uh, shot in fucking film. You're right. I was, millimeter. Up, I was actually reading up on that. Did you see all the imperfections, like the dust in the lenses? Yeah, I was like, I, oh shit. I remember there was a, there was some article about him pushing for it to be 35 yeah. or 16 millimeter. He did a bunch of tests yeah. or something. Yeah, I think it I was mean, in 16 mil. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. So sh- the film is shot on film. It looks really fucking good. It's beautiful. And once yeah. again, Annie Chang, you definitely have huge Wong Kar Wai influences. <laughs> it's it's a lot different than uh, Gook because Gook was anamorphic. Mm-hmm. It was on sticks a lot. 
But uh, this one was had a it was like almost documentary running gun style. Yeah, right. Yeah, which is what I really actually appreciate about what Annie Chang can do. Right. I think a lot of the times because of tech and how camera cameras can be moved mm. in new, fun, and unique ways, the classic idea of number one just leaving stuff on sticks, leaving these huge wides, or following uh, following the subject with a camera operator walking with them you know, that art is kind of lost now, yeah. right? A lot of the film and the the bravado that we enjoy about these new films is how they film it with this new tech, right? These, you know, gimbals or whatever, whatnot. Um, his film style and the way he envisioned things is very raw, yeah. which I think that's why Justin really likes Anti a lot. Yeah. And you see that too. And especially with such a heavy film that's so dialogue heavy, that's so story driven, this raw way of shooting, like how they handle the film, how they frame these shots, I think it's very important and it lends the film really well. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It was, it, it looked beautiful. Like every shot really did show off like um, just the environment very well. Um, because, you know, like you guys were limited with your budget on Goop. It was like very limited. You guys shot on like two blocks. <laughs> very limited yeah. locations. So we can uh, afford. Dude, like um, as I was watching, I was like, damn, I was like really happy that Justin got just so much opportunity to just have different locations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just watching it like, yeah, I'm glad he got a house. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, so you, you, you start to see this, um, his character about like kind of who he is and how down and out he is right now because he's trying to get a job because obviously so in this film he's having a kid is on the way mm-hmm. um so he has his stepdaughter but he also has his daughter that's going to be on the way uh with his wife and he's struggling with money he wants to get a new job um but he has priors right. so in the beginning of the film off the jump he's trying to get a job as a mechanic and just not giving him the chance Right, but he works at a tattoo parlor, which is why you see him all tatted up here. And then later, it was like also implied that he didn't get an education. Yeah, yeah. he's also a felon. Yes, there was a funny moment where they're like, "So, what did you? Why were you a criminal before?" He's like, "I was stealing motorcycles," and he's like trying to get this job (laughs) as a motorcycle mechanic. (laughs) It's so fucking funny. And so obviously, he's not going to get this job. But uh, there was a there's a relationship thing that's being brought up where this where this little girl clearly loves Justin and that's her dad. She doesn't have a relationship with her biological father because he actually decided to ditch her, and he just left that child alone and ran away, right? Yeah. And clearly, this town that they live in is very small. They know that they can contact each other. Their father, who is a cop, wants to be a part of this kid's life. This kid wants nothing to do with him, mm-hmm. right? It's not his dad. The dad that she knows is actually uh, Antonio LeBlanc. Yes. And you see this like weird moment too where the daughter kind of articulates, hey, um, you're probably going to leave me just like right. everybody else does. Right. When the baby's born. Yeah. Right. When the baby's born, you're going to forget about me. And then, you know, Antonio has a very heartfelt moment where they ditch school. Right. Probably not a great job as a parent, <laughs> you know, but he's, you know, trying to develop the strong bond with his daughter saying like, I'm not going to leave you. You're still going to be important to me. And he's like, listen, like you chose me. That's just like the same way that I choose you. I'm going to be around for you. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of re, kind of reaffirming this bond and this love that they have for each other, which is, it's going to be super important throughout the whole film. Well, I thought that was also important because like, uh, I think Justin was portraying that Antonio is not a perfect person, mm. right? So he, he does a lot of bad decisions, which would explain why his character is in this predicament in the first place because of his priors, because he's been making a bunch of bad decisions. But it also touches on why he's been making bad decisions. Mm. Um, um, and then you see it a lot in adoptees. Look, I saw it in my dad. My dad was uh, adopted. 
um, and brought here when he was. Oh, that's 16. right. Your dad was an adoptee. Yeah, I mean, this this story meant a lot to me too. Insane because I could see Antonio LeBong's character. I could see that in my dad. Now, granted, my dad wasn't raised by like white Americans. He was raised by other Koreans who immigrated here. But um, so, did so, it remind you of your dad because? It's like a fuck up still always trying to do his best. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when, when it was going back towards like the reasons why he kept uh, Antonio makes these bad decisions, um, it makes perfect sense to me too, um, whether it be a case of uh, like a massive fear of abandonment um, and like that entails people to like, oh, you're going to leave me. Like having this self-fulfilling prophecy, like I'm going to leave you before you leave me. And so he, They'll make these decisions to draw people away from them. You know, I, I had to learn about a lot of these things because I was trying to understand my dad. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I like I get it. Like he he was brought here when he was 16 and they put him in the seventh grade. Yeah. So I can understand my dad's major angst and like intellectual Holy insecurity. Shit. He was in the seventh grade yeah, when he, he was, was the 16. biggest dude at Virgil High School, dude. <laughs> like because what? he was like 20 by the time like he got up there and it's just like, man, I, I'm a fucking freshman. I'm a sophomore. I'm 20 or Holy so, shit. So he just dropped out. Yeah. You know? It was also embarrassing for him. Yeah, for real. Like, uh, so I can understand why my dad, like, went the wild ass route. I, I didn't know he was, he came here that late. Hey, all, it's David So. And if you want to listen to Genius Brain without ads, now you can. Just go to geniusbrain.supercast.com or click the link in the episode description and you can get a one-week preview of the ad-free version for free. You'll get ad-free listening to the show. You can listen on almost any podcasting app and you'll be supporting my show too. That's geniusbrain.supercast.com. Thanks. This podcast is brought to you by Babbel, my friends. When you're traveling to a destination where you don't know the language, it can be challenging to accomplish even the simplest of tasks. I have traveled many places where I couldn't speak anything, and I got to tell you, ordering a cup of coffee was probably one of the biggest nightmares of my life. It's just me sitting there just, excuse me, I... I don't know. Does that sound like you? That was me for 30 minutes at a cafe in Taiwan. So thankfully, there's Babbel, the number one selling language learning app. Through Babbel's bite-sized lessons, you'll learn new language skills that you can actually use in the world. From greetings, menus, and directions to gaining a deeper understanding of the culture, Babbel is a travel essential. Babbel's 15-minute lessons make it the perfect way to learn a new language on the go. Plus, Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation pronunciation and accent so you don't sound like an el stupido you know what i'm saying melamo s whatever okay right now when you purchase the three-month Babbel subscription you'll get an additional three months for free that's six months for the price of three just go to babble.com and use promo code gb that's b-a-b-b-e-l.com code gb Babbel language for life yeah like so that's that's what i thought my mom always said he came here at 13 and so it's still like, really late though. Yeah. But 13 too, that's, that's late. And then I would assume he was in seventh grade. He's like, no, I was 16 and they put me in seventh grade with wow. other 13 year olds. Wait, so he was given up at 16 or he, no, he was given up at birth, but then they came here to America when he was 16. Got you. Yeah, Got yeah, you. Yeah. And so when he found out he was adopted before they immigrated to America, they were like, uh, you're adopted. You have a twin. We're going to America. You're not going to meet him. Happy birthday. Yeah. 
<laughs> sounds about right. Yeah. yeah, it's like what the fuck. Yeah, so so that's why this movie, you know, I I was very in tune to it, you know, as I was reading. Like that's why I was breaking down like Shang Chi the way I did because my dad was not a good guy. He was a gangster too. Yeah. And looking at the way Shang Chi was dealing with that was just like you piece bitch. of shit. <laughs> like, yeah, I, yeah, you know, like the 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 thing about like I, I hate to deviate, but you know, the problem I had too was that um, my dad going to prison and and breaking the law, like selling drugs, this and that, or whatever, um, didn't make me look at him as a bad guy. It was my relationship with him and how he treated me that, that made you made, that made him me see him as a bad guy. Yeah. So when I was watching Shang Chi, it's like okay, he 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 murdered the people who murdered your mom. You know, he is a gangster. But then like, yo, he treated you really well. You guys had a great relationship. So, I mean, we talked about that before, but in, in this film, um, we see the bad decisions and you're like, what the fuck? And then they start slowly picking apart his character, his past. And like, especially when he's at that lawyer's office and you're mm-hmm. like, the only way you're going to get this thing, you, you got to contact your mother. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then his response like showed him have this, what do you call it? A, a, a downward spiral. Yeah. You, know, you start to see a lot of the things that are happening to him are a lot of it is because of his personal choices, but also because of the circumstances that he grew up in. Right. Yeah. And so later on in the film, you see the father, um, trying to develop a relationship with his stepdaughter. Stepdaughter doesn't want anything to do with him. Um, they're in the grocery store and they start getting into a fight and an argument and it developed over the fact that he didn't take her to school, right? Yeah. And you know, they're arguing in the grocery store and it happens that her biological father with his asshole fat partner, cop pig partner, he yeah. plays, he really plays the antagonist. Yeah, here, really hard. You know, <laughs> and he's, you know, he's just like this dumb Louisiana country bumpkin ass cop that's hyper aggro yeah. and starts fucking with Antonio, Yeah, right? In his mind, he's doing it to like back up his friend which is the father, but you could tell like the, the father in this film doesn't like Antonio. So when his partner starts doing bad things to him, he watches it happen, but he knows it's wrong. Yeah. Right. But he's also in desperation of wanting to see his daughter and obviously having this other strange man who's not a white man yeah. as an Asian guy raising this kid is making him feel a certain way. So his, his dumb partner Decides to report him to ICE, mm. right? Yeah. Well, uh, first he he arrests him for no good reason in the mm-hmm. in the beat the shit out of him, beat him up, throw him in jail. They postponed, but then he already reported him to ICE. So now he uh, Antonio is in this predicament where now he's going to get deported. Yeah. Right. And so the film house uh, they they find a lawyer, they get lawyered up, and, and he takes five thousand up front. Yes. So they they kind of show the how hard it is to prove that you are. So one of the ways that you can stay in this country too is obviously prove how long you've been here or whatever. Uh, and then you you've one of the best ways to do it, and, and the film kind of touches this as well, is that if you gain asylum through like being a refugee right. through like a war torn country, yeah. you know, he was an adoptee that came here. Not it wasn't like a Vietnam, Cambodia, Khmer Rouge yeah. situation, you know. He's South Korean. Yeah. 
So he was just a kid that was probably at an orphanage at the time and he got adopted. Yeah. And was the story that their parents, his parents didn't file the paperwork? Yes. Like parents yeah. didn't file the paperwork, right? Which wasn't his fault. Yeah. And so now he's being, and then on top of that, he has a rap sheet. He's a felon. Yeah. So it kind of shows that he's not a productive member of society. Mm-hmm. So in order for them to even have this lawyer work with him and he has his work cut out for him, he needs $5,000. Well, what the fuck is this guy going to get $5,000, right. right? He was already trying to make more money because of the new baby on the way. Exactly. And now he's down the hole. Exactly. So um, when he was at the hospital, we forgot about the scene. Um, there was a Vietnamese lady there that kind of, he starts striking up a conversation with her and he sees his daughter trying to get a snack out. She helps him out, get the snack out. It kind of starts this relationship with them. So because now he needs to make money fast, he prints out these pink flyers where he's like out in the streets just saying, hey, who needs a tattoo? Who needs a tattoo? Yeah. Trying to beg people to get a tattoo so he could pay for the stuff. By the way, too, he hasn't even paid his chair fees at the tattoo parlor. So he's already so fucking down now. He's actually in debt. Yes. And so at this point, it's just, it's, it was so, it, it was hard for me to watch that. It was heavy handed. It was so heavy handed. Like yeah. watching this guy just beg just somebody to, I mean, you're trying to sell tattoos. <laughs> it was so sad, right? But he's trying to be better. I think that's why it was so hard for me to watch, right? Mm-hmm. Like just watching somebody on the street just beg for fucking work. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a difficult thing. He's trying, but he has like no options. Exactly. Yeah. He meets the, the woman that he met at the hospital when uh, she, his wife was getting the ultrasound, the woman that helped rattle the snack out of the, yeah. uh, the snack machine. And she goes, I need a tattoo. And he goes, oh, are you serious? Like, what kind of tattoo do you want? And he was, you know, whatever. He's like kind of shocked that she wants to get a tattoo. Gives her a tattoo during their conversation. Well, well like she takes her wig off oh, to get on right. a motorcycle and she, it's shown that she is a cancer patient, mm-hmm. right? And then you're, she's getting her tattoo and then she explains that she's what, stage four, mm-hmm. much, right? And then, so th- there's a juxtap- juxtaposition between these two immigrants, you know, one being adopted, facing deportation, and one who was a refugee and is settling in America and also facing death and dying here. Yeah. Right. So that's kind of where it, you start to see their relationship develop over time. Right. Mm-hmm. And you you kind of wonder, like, what is the importance of this person in this film? Like, why is she even here? Right. Like, yeah. is it the show just uh, not just uh, Antonio that hey, you don't really have it that bad? Like, what is the purpose of her? Right. Well, you see later on in the film and we're kind of jumping around. I only got to see this film once. I'm going to have to watch it again. Um, she's Vietnamese and she, he decides to give her this tattoo for free. Right. He finds out about her story, even if he's down and out. And this actually is a reflection of that. He's actually a really good guy. Yeah. You know, yeah. sees that she's this woman who's in pain. She's going to pass away and she gets the, the Louisiana sign, which is a flower. It's, it's very corny and tacky. Yeah. And he goes like, I'm going to pay you for this. He goes, no, no, no. Don't, your money's no good here. Shows that he's a really good person. She says, well, if you're not going to take this, we throw family parties, which every Vietnamese fucking person knows yeah. family <laughs> parties are fucking fire as shit and invites him over to a family party yeah. with his uh, wife uh, and kid or whatever. They go to this party and they go to this Vietnamese party. I think this was like a very important part yeah. because Antonio doesn't know what family is. Right. Not only that, like he, he says, I feel like I'm in Asia. Yeah. He's uncomfortable with like he like he's so American, he doesn't understand the the live band and singing like karaoke ish thing. Even the the 
the spring roll is mm-hmm. a little weird to him and all this stuff. Like he needs to take a breather. Like, um, like how do I eat this shit? Right. It and was, he's Asian. Yeah. <laughs> it was showing how, like, if he can't take this, how could he go back to Korea? Yeah. Where he doesn't know what goddamn thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, he was, he was a fish out of water in a situation where he should, where people would normally feel comfortable when they see people who look just like him. Yeah. Which in juxtaposition shows how fucking American he is. Mm-hmm. He is an adoptee that identifies with being an American person. Yeah. And so when he sees people who came to this country but still holds on to their cultural identity, it's weird to him. Yeah. You know, like it's like he's never experienced this shit. Yeah. They didn't know how to make the spring roll. And there was like these really great moments where he's doing the spring roll thing and this other, this little Asian girl smiling and <laughs> teaching him how to eat it. He's like, yo, this food's actually really good. Yeah. It's like a white person eating Asian food for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I thought that was yeah. really awesome because, you know, like I said, where I grew up, um, it was a bunch of, like a lot of white people and it was in the sticks. But here's the thing. I wasn't the only Asian person at my high school. There was like, I'm going to say up to 10 different Asians that were all adopted. <laughs> oh, for real? Yeah. I was the only, so here's the thing. I was the only like Asian American, like where my parents immigrated and I would grew up in America. Wow. Everyone else like were, had white parents that were adopted and grew up in these sticks. And like, even I couldn't connect with them. I wasn't, I was hardly friends with any of them because the way they talked about being Asian was a joke. You know, the way white people around them and the people- They would look at them. you and go, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> they would pull back their already Asian eyes and look at you, what's yeah. up, gook? It's like, you're me. Really? I, I felt like that that was one of the weird identity issues I had growing up out there was that even though there were these other Asians, I couldn't talk to them. They could have just been white, really. And yeah. at some of them too, especially one dude- didn't want anything to do with other Asian people. Didn't want to identify. He really wanted to just be, be white. white. Yeah. And just be with the other students and just don't even mention that I'm Asian kind of thing, you know? So being Asian, there was no real conversation about it. Being different, there was no conversation. Everyone had their different complexes. Yeah. And it was a weird situation for me. So like, why this movie is so important is that it shows, it still shows one aspect of what it's like, you know, that that's something that truly touches deep in the Asian American um, experience that they're not all just like us who have immigrant Asian American parents because those guys don't identify with us at all, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And it was a bit refreshing to see that, that while he identifies as American, you know, um, everyone else, everyone else just does not accept him that way. Yeah. And I, I'm pretty sure that's what a lot of the adoptees felt that all the white people didn't accept them, but in turn, they didn't accept me. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that was a weird uh, complexity. So the relationship he has with the Vietnamese lady with cancer was very interesting to me to see how he interacts with someone who is like Asian immigrant. Right? I feel like, I'm not sure if this was like the purpose of what they were doing, but it was almost like she fulfilled a motherly role that he mm. always wanted but never yeah, had. Yeah. And her father, that's why he he was constantly asking him questions. Like, do you regret what, you know, leaving- yeah, splitting up the family. Splitting up the family. Yeah. And he says, I have no regrets. You know, because when you're looking at throughout this film, it's, go, it's going to a lot of flashbacks about the time his mother tried to kill him when he was younger. And even talks about in the film, like he doesn't tell people this, but 
he and he doesn't tell people until later on, but he told her and revealed to her, I actually do remember my mom. Mm-hmm. And I remember my mom's face and I remember her trying to kill me. You know, yeah. which is so fucking heavy. Yeah. And so I think when he asks, when he's asking these questions to her father, I think he's asking him questions that he would ask his mother. Yeah. You know, do you regret giving me up? Do you regret trying to kill me? You know? Yeah. And for, you know, when he was getting these answers from the father figure, it's almost like he was getting answers from his mother or a parental figure that he never really had. Yeah. Right. And so later on in the film, um, uh, the lawyer kind of breaks it down to them. Like, listen, your chances are fucking slim to none. We need to have witnesses to show that you're an amazing person, that you're a good person, that you're a productive person in society. And one of the ways to do is have family members do it. Uh, specifically, his adopted family, his adopted family members. To vouch for him. To vouch for him. Yeah. So I, I, I'm, I could be making this up. I'm not sure. But he had an adopted family that gave him up and then went to this yeah. family after. Well, no, the adoptive family were neglectful. He ended up in different foster care systems. Foster care system. And they ended up with this family. Yeah. And so his wife doesn't know anything about this. His whole life, he told his wife that they died. And so she didn't know until the lawyer brought it up. He goes, hey, I looked up. You said your family died. Like you don't have any, uh, you don't, your foster or your adopted parents aren't alive. Well, says that you're, I looked it up and your mother's still alive. Yeah. She found out that he lied to him. So she doesn't even know who this guy is anymore. It's like, who, who the fuck are you? It shows that he's so self-destructive in order to avoid that trauma. Yeah. Because he doesn't want to touch it with a hundred foot pole. Yeah. Right. It, this could fucking save you. And he's just like, fuck that shit. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not even just save him. He made promises to his wife and his daughter that he was going to stay around and be a good husband and a good father. Yeah. But it's, there's clearly this moral point where he, his priority is his family, but his self-preservation is now in constant battle with this. Yeah. Right. He's like, I will do anything to save my family, but this. And we as an audience don't really fucking know why. And you kind of get disappointed. It's like, yo, I thought you were a good dude. What the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. And you see in a fight where they explode um, and she wants absolutely nothing to do with him, especially after he lied about that. Yeah. She's going to move and go back with her with her mother, her his mother-in-law that fucking hates him already. Yeah. And there's this huge moment where they clash. She goes, I don't know. This, this scene, by the way, very powerful. That's such good acting. Yeah, yeah, it was really good. You know what I mean? I felt like I was watching a real couple fight the scene in the kitchen yes yeah yeah that was that was pretty wow wow yeah he brought it out <laughs> and he finally reveals he goes hey you don't know everything about me because i didn't tell you about my my foster parents because my foster dad beat the living shit out of me every fucking day yeah and i left i left these people they treated me terribly i was from foster home to foster home came here was adopted they didn't they didn't love me and then I went to another foster home, another foster home. These people didn't love me. They gave up on me, gave up on me. I finally went to a family. And then these people beat the living shit out of me every day. I yeah. can't go back to this person. It brings up too much pain. But for her, she's like, I'm your wife. You couldn't even trust me then. There's no trust here. Yeah. And her heart's broken. He eventually decides that he is going to go to, um, well, this is first the the lady, he's at the the, the tattoo shop. He decides that uh, the the Vietnamese lady comes through and says she wants another tattoo. He treats her like a fucking asshole. He's right. going through emotional stuff. Get the fuck out of here. Like so, when when he heard he had to go to that that uh, foster parent, uh, he had a he had a breakdown 
Um, he spiraled out, uh, went crazy on his bike, <laughs> then uh, shows up to work and he has no money for his booth, right? Oh, that's right. And so he's already feeling like shit. And then the lady shows up and he's like, I'm not a fucking charity. And then he totally just rejects her. And that's what I mean about that that complex with abandonment is that before you abandon me, I'm going to abandon, abandon you. you first. Yeah. And it's there. And the also thing that kind of damns him in his wife's eyes is he got that $5,000 because he robbed the motorcycle store. A dope fucking sequence, by the way. Amazing, yeah. dude. How fucking dope was that when yeah. he blasted out through the, through, through the fucking glass and just ditched and he fucking jetted? Yeah. Reynolds <sighs> has, a, has an article out there about how he edited that scene too. Oh, that sh- scene was so fucking amazing, dude. Yeah. Like it shows his desperation. Mm-hmm. Like it shows like how far he's willing to Bro, go. my fucking chode was tight. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, dude, get the fuck out of there. The cops are coming. The cops are coming. Because the, the thing was that he got enough cars or enough motorcycles that almost paid through it. But if he got a Ducati, Ducati, yeah. Yeah. It, it was like a thousand dollars or something or 2000 or something. Cut, yeah. It was, it was a way fatter been cut. enough to, to take care of. There those. was one in there. Yeah. And he decided that he got it. He jetted out, escaped with it and he got the money. He got the $5,000. But he got out with his visor up. up. Yeah. 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 And so guess who was at the scene? Her uh, ex biological father, biological father, the baby yeah. daddy, yeah. the baby daddy was there. He sees his face. He knows it's him. Um, God, the eyes, man. Yeah, <laughs> it always gives it away, right? Yeah, it's like, I, I think that's look. kind of a hilarious, not hilarious, but like, like the right thing that like the visor being up, identifying him because of his eyes. Like, yeah, not that. Oh, it could have been any Asian guy, but it's like in his situation. It's him. Yeah. It's fucking yeah. him. Yeah. I only know one dude. Yeah. And I've seen those fucking HD vision eyes. Yeah. Those fucking widescreen eyes. Fucking 16.9 motherfucker. Yeah, you 16.9 <laughs> <eyed> motherfucker. <laughs> Recognizes him. Such an amazing fucking cool scene. And it just kind of damns him because it goes, fuck. You're willing to go ahead and risk your life going to jail, breaking into this shit, do all this crime to get this $5,000 to get this lawyer but you're not even willing to go see your mother, this woman that you lied yeah. to me about that would wow. literally save our fucking family. Yeah. It makes him look like a piece of shit. Yeah. He finally decides to go see his mother. Um, confronts her. Because she basically, um, oh, in the lawyer's office said like, oh, I'll talk to him if he, if he wants to come out and he wants to talk to me. And he just says, he's like, you get to see through the dialogue why he holds resentment towards his foster mom. Mm-hmm. It's because... He was abandoned so many times in his life. He actually la- he actually loved his foster mom. It was the one person that he loved, despite that they had this shitty father. He goes, I protected you. 16 years of my fucking life, I took beatings for you. I protected you. And when I asked you to come with me when I left, you decided to stay with him. Yeah. Hurt. Just fucking pain. Yeah. And no answers either. Yeah. She did not speak. She was one important character, <laughs> character who had no lines. Yeah. I said, why? He goes, I don't know. Yeah, but it was important, like, because some things like that shit, you're just not going to get the fucking answers. If you've been in this kind of predicament where you really need to know the answers from someone and then it's it's either- Sometimes you don't. Yeah, you're just not going to get the answers sometimes and you have to live with that shit. And that was a pain that I can understand. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, so yeah, that was good shit too. It yeah. was just so poignant, you know, it's like- I wish that part was explored a little more, but I felt like it was still very impactful. Um, 
just with her not having an answer. And also too, when people are abused by people with their by their abuser, they don't know why they stick around sometimes, whether yeah. it's like an emotional attachment. Or, or sometimes even people in those predicaments, like in that situation, you think about socioeconomic situation and domestic abuse. Where would she go? Do they understand Stockholm syndrome? Yeah. You know, do they even know how to explain why? Literally, it was just, they don't know either. I don't know. I stay. Yeah. They just have these, make these decisions. Yeah. And I feel bad for them, right? It's like, like I said, foster home to foster home to foster home. This misfit, nobody wanted him. His original mom tried to kill him, doesn't want him, goes to another place, to another country to get adopted, wasn't good enough. Finally finds a family, gets beaten every day. And the one person that he actually loved, which was his mom, that would have done anything to protect her, got his ass beat for her and asked, hey, I need you to come with me. Let's start this new life. She chooses. Abandons him as well. Yep. Right. And so that's why it was so important for him when he was saying, I choose you. Mm -hmm. I chose your mom. That means I choose you too. That's why it was so like that that was important to him. Yeah. Because uh, I'm going to bring it back to the abandonment complex is that when you stick by somebody, you are fucking riot or die. Like yeah. the literal meaning of it. And he was like, I choose you. And that's why he went through the lengths he went mm-hmm. through. Right. So next part of the film, he actually does reconnect with the lady who has cancer, um, decides to give her the tattoo. And they have a moment where they ride out and they have a long conversation um, I think it was at a dock at a river. Yeah. And, you know, they're opening up, revealing things about him. And he reveals to her that I actually do remember. He goes, I think I was drawn to you because you look like my mom. Mm-hmm. I, I do remember. And I, I, when I first saw her, I was like, is that his mom? <laughs> you know? Secret Oprah reveal. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not, you know, yeah. and they, they have a heart to heart and he feels this connection towards her because she looks like his mom or what he remembers of his mom. And, you know, he's revealing stuff to her that we're not privy to until later in the film. Um, they get on this motorcycle and she is in very bad shape. Yeah. She's on the motorcycle. Her wig flies off. And that part made Arms me loose. laugh so hard. like, <laughs> 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 oh shit. It wasn't supposed to be funny. But in yeah. my mind, I was like, that wig better not fly off. But, you know, I, I really feel like that was like a uh, reinterpretation because I've, I've seen that in Korean media mm. where... Um, a guy is giving someone obaba, you know, you piggyback, they, right? And then they go limp, you know, because whatever Korean cancer, like some wrist cancer that they had, yeah. <laughs> they die they die from them or yeah, whatever. I have a hair cancer. Yeah, <laughs> I, I thought it was pretty clever how he brought that into this um, Asian American film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a specific film that I really, really like with um, Lee Chang. Fuck, I'm forgetting his name. <laughs> Holy shit, he's like one of my favorite Korean actors. Korean. God damn it. But it's a movie called Pasong Song Kerang Tak. And it's a kid who has cancer. Uh Um, And this woman who he hooked up with years ago says that this kid is his. And this kid finds him. Says that that's his father or whatever, right? Um, I don't think this kid knows that his mom is dead or something, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. From what I remember. And he goes on this journey to find his mom. But they find out that, I think he finds out that the mom is dead. Mm-hmm. But he still continues his journey with this kid. But he hates this kid, by the way. <laughs> He's like, you're not my son. Yeah. You know, he tries to avoid him. But it's like unavoidable. The kid's very persistent. But in the last end of the film, you see him falling in love with this child. And at the end, he's buying him on the side of the road as they're traveling across the world. Dies as he's piggybacking him. And you yeah. can feel him go limp. And he just 
sobbing and crying as he's still carrying him on his back. So it was like, I've seen that in the Korean films. Yeah. It's very, very sad. Yeah. But yeah, he, he, he basically is for with this woman till her last dying breath. During this time, his wife who was pregnant, who kicked him out is having a child. Yeah. Their child is born. Um, which kind of sucked because he wasn't there for it, right? Because he was kicked out of the house because his quote unquote choices. Yeah. Um, later on in the film, you find out that uh, they have a set court date. He reveals to her that, hey, I talked to my mom. It kind of mends their relationship because um, now she feels that he's putting in the effort to do what he can to stay a part of this family. He has a court date that's coming up. He doesn't make it. Because of the asshole cop buddy. Cop buddy, yeah. Yeah. Decide that he was going to do a favor for his friend, the baby's daddy, and make sure that he doesn't reach this court date. And he beats the shit out of him in this like remote forest somewhere, kidnaps him and beats the shit out of him, misses the court date. His mom actually does decide to show up there. Everybody's waiting there. Um, and you see like a character moment in um, the the baby's dad where she goes like, what the fuck are you doing here? And he's like, if he leaves, my family leaves too. Yeah. So I'm here. He actually doesn't know what's happening over there. Yeah. I like that that character had a lot more nuance than just being the straight antagonist. Mm -hmm. But they put it on his partner. But then the fact that like the reasons for his motives are is love. Yeah. <laughs> you he know? wants to be around his daughter. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it humanizes him. You know, he's not just out there to hate him because he's an Asian guy or whatever. He just wants to see his daughter. Yeah. Right. And he's kind of living with the mistakes that he made, abandoning them. And now he's trying to make up for it. His daughter doesn't want to see him. His his the mother of the mother of his daughter doesn't want to see him. Nobody wants anything to do with him. And he just has his asshole partner who's trying to help do him favors, but really he's just a fucking dick. Yeah. Um, misses his court date. And Antonio has to walk back, find his motorcycle somewhere, or whatever, where his motorcycle was at the diner and drive back in the rain. Tries to come and talk to his wife. She wants nothing to do with him, but she doesn't know what's happened to him. Yeah. So he's begging, banging on the door, like, let me in, let me in. I have to tell you something. Has nothing. And then he just starts riding off in the rain with his busted ass arm and his busted body. Yeah. And he just loses everything. Everyone's abandoned him now. He's literally left alone. Yes. Saddest shit ever that I've ever seen. Yeah. Right. And now he has to make this choice where he has to. I think he kind of came to terms with the situation and now he's really trying to do the right thing for the family. And so he decides that he's going to leave and there's, he's going to give them money before he leaves and he sells his motorcycle to the guy that he, that would help him rob shit. Leaves the money at the doorstep, said this, and she sees the note, notices that he, this is, this, this is clean fucking money. Yeah. Knows that he's going to leave. Well, before this, he, the, the partner reveals to, the baby's dad, that he's the reason why he didn't make the court date. I did you a fucking favor. And he doesn't know about this. Yeah. He's shocked. He goes, cool. He's pissed. Because he knows that his family's going to leave. Yeah. He goes, you fucked this all up for me. If yeah. he leaves, my family's going to leave with him. I'll never see my daughter ever again. So he gets his ex to beat the shit out <laughs> yeah. of him. You know what? Fuck you. I'm going to get my wife to beat you yeah. up. <laughs> That was such a good scene. Yeah. Her beating the shit out of him really made, I was like, she's such a good fucking actress, dude. Mm. Like I really felt all of her emotions, you know, she's frustrated. She's trying to contact him. And now at this point, um, he went through a moment too, by the way, before this, I'm sorry, I skipped this part where he's like given up on life. He's abandoned by everybody. 
He's in the rain. He's he's riding in it, and he tries to kill himself. Right. By going into the bayou. Well, this is where you get to see a glimpse of his mother. This scene, by the way, amazing. Mm. So it was the underwater scene yeah. where he's in this water and he's drowning. You think he's going to die. And you see this moment where his mother comes down and he's seeing flashes of his mom trying to reach out and save him. And you get to see this past history. I'm not sure if I'm messing up the timeline, but this past history of his mother actually regretting trying to kill him. Yeah, She's like, what have I done? Yeah, And then when he kind of wakes up from this moment, he's back up there. He's sitting around. He doesn't die. Yeah, He actually doesn't kill himself. Fun fact for you guys, when you watch this film, they shot that scene at the after party. What? Wait, was there a pool at the after party? There was a pool at the after party. And it's like, we need this shot. And, it, and then Auntie, the director was like, let's just get the shot. Let's see what happens. Wow. And they shot it at the pool in the after party and it went into the film. When the film was already wrapped. It was already wrapped. And then it was a pickup shot. Yep. Damn. Yeah, that was, was important. Last call. Yeah. How fucking amazing yeah. was that scene? How great was it? Yeah. It was a last minute call. I didn't know. And they told me that. That was a very important scene for us. Yeah. Because it, 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 it ties into like the whole thing with like not going through with it or whatever. Yeah. That, um, that he still deserves a life. Mm-hmm. Right. Despite the fact of everything he's going through, he's still going to live. And then he he brings that back to himself in, in modern time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and at this point too, like I feel like in his situation for his character – he is now in a position where he could end this cycle of hurt. Mm. He could do the right thing. You know, I know he wants to bring his family to Korea or whatever, but it's not what's best for the daughter. It's not what's best for his wife either. Yeah. It's what's for what he wants. Yeah. You know, so he decides to get the money right, sells, sells the motorcycle, gets the money, drops it off saying, this is, this is clean money. Don't worry about it. And get to the airport. Mm-hmm. And then they're, they're leading him off. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I thought this part was important because they they catch him at the airport, um, but the the baby daddy shows up too, right? And baby daddy thinks that they're trying to leave with him to Korea, right? Yeah. And this is what the stepdaughter said was like, you're going to leave me when the baby's born, right? And it was because she said, you cried when you saw- Oh, that's right. The, the thing, right? But you never cry for me. Yeah, you won't cry for me. And then- when they get to the airport, he's like, no, don't come. This is a bad idea, whatever. And he's like, you guys got to stay, like stay with your dad. This is your daddy or whatever, right? And he walks off with, with the police or ICE towards the gate. And then when he looks back and he sees that she's not crying in her her dad's or bio dad's arms and he realizes that, no, like she chooses me, right? She says, I choose you, don't go, mm-hmm. right? And then, Fucking cried at everybody, the scene, dude. <laughs> everybody in the theater bawling Yo, their eyes. I can eyes. hear so many people sniffling. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even I'm like, God damn. <laughs> yeah, it was such a heartfelt scene when he yeah. came up and the kid was just begging for her father, yeah. right? And, you know, the reason, and this is what we talk about character development a lot, right? Yeah. Scenes like this matter because of the relationship that was established with father and stepdaughter. Yeah. Let's just say father and daughter at this yeah. point. It mattered. It mattered so fucking It was a much. pincer move, right? Between yeah. these two people and everything, like you seeing the story happen and the way they see it in their perspective, it's all going to meet 
just for this moment right here. And it's going to matter. You have to understand, like, if you ever walk through an airport and you saw a couple hugging and they're crying, it, it, you get it. It looks beautiful. You don't know the, what's going on before this movie is showing, like, what this shit means, you know, and that literally fucking touched my soul. <laughs> I think, too, like, there's also a scene that I forgot. There's little gems like this that kind of builds up the payoff, right? For example, there was a part in the scene where you could tell how strong their relationship is because there's this funny-ass scene in the movie where the daughter decides to dye her hair black. Yeah. And it's all <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. Because she wanted to look like her dad. Yeah. Which is Antonio. Yeah. And then he's trying to laugh, not laugh. It's like, no, you look beautiful, baby girl. You know, like you look fucking beautiful, blah, blah, blah. She looks like a fucking dirty mop on her head. Dirty mop. Like she's bawling <laughs> her eyes out. And then he says like, he'll do anything to make her happy or whatever, whatnot. And she wants him to dye his hair mm. a funny mm -hmm. color. And that's why he has that weird pink hair. Yeah. Um, it's because that's what his daughter asked, which shows like this beauty in their relationship. They are father and daughter, despite what they look like, despite anything else. Yeah. That's the relationship. They chose each other. Yeah. And you... And you see that love. And so that final scene was such a good payoff. Yeah. And it, it's important to show that like what it means to choose to, to love somebody, right? Despite their flaws or whatever, you're not even blood or something like, they literally is like, I choose you. I yeah. chose you. And even like uh, calls back to WandaVision. Did you see that yet? WandaVision? I saw a couple of episodes. I haven't oh, watched man, it all. I don't want to ruun it for you then. Yeah, don't, don't ruin it for me because <laughs> okay. I, I, I just got done with Loki. So okay. I have to finish that too. Yeah, yeah. You got to see that. Yeah. But, um, yeah. A similar kind of scene like where it speaks to me because of, you know, I understand. Like I keep bringing up abandonment issues because I'll, I'll be honest here on this podcast. I, I, I had to go through a lot of therapy to deal with these things yeah. and the behaviors that I have when it comes to that. And what I have to be cognitive about when I'm caught in a situation like where I'm like, well, you know, forget this person, forget this person, forget this person. I always have to sit and choose and be like, I have to sit, I have to choose and decide that I'm going to stay with this person. I'm going to be around this person. I'm going to be a friend to this person, you know, despite all this bullshit, I don't fucking need, mm -hmm. you know, but then ultimately in love, like you, you do have to choose this. And it's like, I'm here you unconditionally through and through yeah and i felt that that doing that trade it like so well in this movie in that scene yeah, yeah and it's, it's also too the idea of what family is and what a parent is isn't just you being related by blood yeah. it's your actions who yeah. are you how are you involved in this child's life that makes you a parent like the, the concept of i choose you yeah you know yondu and star lord <laughs> yeah, he may have been your father, but he wasn't your daddy. Right? Exactly. Yeah, and and it, it really did a beautiful job on that part, you know. So uh, there wasn't a fucking dry eye in that in that theater. Yeah, everybody was fucking crying. Um, if we want to talk about stuff that you know, I read a couple of reviews about why people were critical of it. Um, once again, there's no film that's perfect. There's also going to be different opinions about how they feel about things, and um. One of the biggest critiques of the film was that they felt it was over-dramatized. It was right. hyper-dramatic. And it was just in your face, like hardcore about like how much this sucks. Yeah. Or Which I, I did understand because one of the one of the reviews that I read that cracked me up, they're like, of course, there's a fucking lady with cancer. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I was like, I get it though. I, I think that opinion is very valid. Yeah. There was a lot. There was a few things in the film where I felt like ah, maybe we didn't need him to try to kill himself you know, get beat up in the forest and do all this other stuff. Like it, it, it was like one after another. It was just fucking shit. It was, it was like, 
you know, I mean, I don't want to compare it to the Holocaust, but it's like, you know, Schindler's List. Yeah, yeah. You can't watch it like back, you know, <laughs> like and enjoy it. Exactly. But then you, you watch it because of, you know, it, the purpose it has to show you how fucked up shit is. Yeah. Right? Certain people felt like, okay, this is just my God, man. Like, yeah. What, like how much more drama do we need? Like there was already enough where the payoff was great. Yeah, it's like how many times have you seen 12 Years a Slave? Just once. Exactly. And I don't think I'm going to put it on again. It's yeah. too fucked up. Yeah. yeah. It's very hard to watch. Yeah. You know, and, but and it's I, important. Mm-hmm. It's relevant. It's, it's real. I mean, and, it, and it, yeah. It's, yeah. These are, they're important things, but then there's just things that are hard to swallow because on film, it's so visceral, like compared to just reading it off a script. Right? Yeah, exactly. So it's, um, I understand that. I think that criticism is fair. And I agree too. When I was watching it too, I was like, I probably could have done with a little bit without the cancer lady. But at the same time too, I do understand why she's there though. Yeah. Cause there was a purpose. It had to be the father's perspective in his positivity after everything that's been so fucked up. And now his daughter has cancer. Right? Yeah. That's why he keeps going back to the father to try to communicate with him. Like, like what do you regret? Do you regret yeah. this? Do you regret this? He's looking for something. Yeah. So once again, it does make sense, but very, very heavy handed. And I can understand why some people might've rolled their eyes. Like, Oh my God, like what is this? Like a very dr- dramatized Korean drama. Like, Maybe, yeah. maybe, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think that criticism is very fair. Yeah. Um, but one thing to say, it's like it's a very Asian American film. Like we're we're the newest immigrants here, right? Yeah. Like we our, our parents have seen some fucking shit. Our grandparents lived through war too. I mean, and it, I think it was also important why they showed the Vietnamese Americans because they're fresh off the boat from some fucked up shit too, mm-hmm. right? And and we relate to a lot of tragedy. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's not like we enjoy tragedy, but it's part of our story. Yeah, whether we want to run away from it or not, it's literally part. You of know, our the story. Korean adoptee story, or just the adoptee story, is pretty intense. You know, and I think like through this film, like a lot of people probably didn't know about the situation, like we do. Mm-hmm. You know, because we are Korean and we're Asian Americans, and then know about people who have been deported or who have been um, in fear of getting deported. Yeah, and the story isn't really told, and I think the film did a great job in telling, it, and people are going to be aware yeah. of it. So hopefully it did its good job. And in this in this episode or in the description uh, of this episode, you'll see a link to, you know, these adoptee stories and how we can help. You know, yeah. I, I mean, I it, we don't get these kind of stories. I can't think of any other film that has a story like this. Yeah, and I think that's a lot of what uh, Justin tries to touch, right? Like even with Gook, um, when we see the LA riot story, how many times do we see it in our perspective? Yeah. Right. And he showed our, the, the Asian American, the Korean American experience in the riots. Yeah. You know, a story that not a lot of people hear of what was it like on our side. And I, if you guys can recommend movies that have like these stories like this, I have not seen one like, yeah. like blue by you, to be honest. And I think I, that's why I commend Justin. Cause he's, Always out there looking for a story that hasn't been told. Yeah. Yeah. I think like one of the things I guess like the film has been getting flack. Um, and I have to touch on this too because people are going to want me to talk about this. Um, I don't know too much about this, but I feel like I, I think like there's a little bit of backlash because like the Korean, you know, when you tell other people's stories and they don't get to tell it themselves, I think there's always going to be backlash for this. Yeah. Um, and there has been a little bit about that. Is it the tweet about... Why was why didn't you hire an, a Korean adoptee actor to play? I story? think there was one of those too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a few of those. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's the one I saw. Yeah. I was like, uh. There's that. There's, you know, like 
This is very similar to another Korean adoptee story. Like, did you give them credit for it? These are things that I don't know. You know, mm. uh, I do know I that- I thought they did at the end. There was photos of real people. Yeah, then. and there was, you know, and I'm, I mean, knowing Justin too, I'm almost 100% sure he reached out and had conversations with people. And But once again, like, I, I don't know these things. Um, mm. All I know is that in this film, and once, I'm not saying this from a perspective because I'm his friend and I know him. I just don't know. Um, but what I do know is that I, a lot of people who did watch this film didn't know about the situation. Mm-hmm. And when they saw the film, they were enlightened. They go, holy shit, this is so fucked up. Yeah. It's a story that a lot of people don't know. Right. And, um, and it's happening to a, a lot of people. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of intense, man. Uh, and we talk about legacy. And I think as a filmmaker, this stuff creates legacy because it creates important conversations. Mm-hmm. Not every film has to be this. By the way, one of my favorite films ever is Nacho Libre. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. My, my favorite movie of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Not all films have to be like this, right? Yeah. But for uh, a drama, this is up there for me. I, I love it. It was very personal. Yeah. You know, it kind of uh, touches on something that I that we all grew up with that we know about. I I don't know if I've told I told this on the podcast. I've told you, but I have an uncle who spent twenty five years in the federal prison system here in America. Oh, that's right. And uh, if you want to know what you get sentenced, what you did to earn 25 years in prison. Yeah, he did that shit. Yeah. You know, um, but here's the thing. As soon as he served his time, they deported him right back to Korea. Fuck. You know, and he he spent a few years here in America, did some shit, spent 25 years in prison. I remember visiting him like when I was like four or five years old. In my mind, I thought that was his job. Because he was in like in a jumpsuit. Yeah. I thought he was like a mechanic or something. That's so funny. It's like we drive like two hours to go visit uncle. Yeah. You know, at his work. Rip and fix these cars already. Yeah. You're so lazy. <laughs> it's like, why didn't they come, you know, to our parties or whatever? Wow, 25 years. 25 years. And Could then, you imagine losing 25 years of your life? No, not at all, dude. Um, I, I just heard the Amanda Knox story and she spent four years in Italian prison. I can't imagine my own uncle, what he went through for 25 years in the U.S. prison system. But yeah, they deported him. And uh, when he he was in Korea and I went and visited him, man, spitting image of my Harabaji. He looks just like him. And oh, really? He sees me. He's like, oh my God, he thought that I was my dad. <laughs> That's so fucking funny, dude. <laughs> like for me, I thought I saw a ghost. Yeah. But um, yeah, uh, he's a pastor there now. He does prison ministry. Specifically, he picks up these adoptees or first gen like immigrants like you let's say you committed a felony or something you spent some time in prison and they just deport you right after he picks up a lot of those kids so i went to his halfway home where he houses these uh, these 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 people it's the saddest environment i've ever been to I, if he was asking me to stay over there i was like nah i'm just Hell gonna no. sit here for a while they're just sitting there like i can't believe i'm in korea yeah dude these dudes look so depressed and bummed out and some of them a few of them like just kind of accepted that this is where they live this is where they are but you know they're just they're all guys these dudes and they have all this family in america but they're just stuck here and then my uncle's like yeah he's from illinois he's from you know virginia he's from california whatever and they're all these dudes who committed felonies spent time in prison and then got deported and even one guy has just had this like white foamy shit on his mouth because he just didn't give a shit about what he looked like anymore you know like <laughs> like damn these are just depressed like 
I'm here in Korea. I don't know a goddamn fucking thing about Korea. And that's because they didn't go to Gangnam. They don't yeah. know how fun it is. <laughs> but they're broke too, dude. Oh, that's right. Never mind, bro. Your they're situation sucks. Yeah. Seriously. I, Be an English teacher, bro. I don't know if I was there longer than like, you know, 30 minutes, but I was like, I got to get out of here. This is depressing. Uh, yeah. And I didn't know a goddamn thing about them. It's like, dude, can you get me a Slim Jim? <laughs> So I know what it's like to be American again. Can you get me some Gardetto's yeah. chips? <laughs> like, oh, you want to go to McDonald's? We have a McDonald's, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's the saddest thing I've ever heard, dude. Yeah, I feel but, so bad. But that's uh, my uncle's ministry out there now. He's just like ta- taking in a bunch of deportees, expats. What do you do at that point, man? Like you're in a country, you don't speak the language. All your family's in the States. You don't identify with being a Korean. And by the way, when you're, in Korea too, and you're a kyopo or something, yeah. they don't fucking fuck with you like that. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not especially a Korean. if you're an ex felon and yeah. you're ex con, and then you get sent back to Korea. Yeah, like, piece of a shit. America not sending us their best. I know. You know? <laughs> like we send you our best. What the fuck? Yeah. You know <laughs> why you send him back? We sent him to you, and now you send him back. <laughs> I know. <in> return. <laughs> Who brings it back to Sydney? The piece of garbage. Yeah. <laughs> no, but that's you could see it in their face. That's what they felt like. Yeah, just abandoned. Left out, just kicked out, separated from the family. Let's do a movie about your uncle, dude. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. This is why I feel comfortable saying it because he wrote a fucking book. Okay. Well, that's yeah. good then. <laughs> so that's the thing. I, I need to ask him if he has an English translation of his book, but that's I know the fun. Korean ones out there. Yeah. And I mean, like, and he's just had wild fucking stories in prison too, you know? Oh my God, dude. Prison stories are scared the fuck out of yeah. me. I can't do prison, bro. Like if somebody tries to frame me for some shit, it's like, and I'm like, I, I got to kill myself now. 25 years. I can't do it. I can't even years. do two weeks. Yeah. I can't do a week. I can't, five days. I can't do none of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm literally thinking like his parole, whatever he faced, he did the minimum 25. Jesus. Dude. Yeah. So that's like, yeah. Uh, he speaks perfect English and he speaks Korean as well. But then, you know, my mom, my mom helped support him. That was part of the things of me like working at the store was just like, this is helping support uncle out there, you know? So. Wow. This is the kind of work I do. So that's why this movie really touched a piece of like of story like that. We don't hear. And that I finally saw on the screen that I really just give props to Justin for doing. Yeah. To be honest. Yeah. Well, guys, that wraps up this episode of the review of Blue Bayou. It's like the saddest podcast you've ever I yesterday. know. <laughs> if you haven't checked out the film, I do highly recommend it. Might not be a, a everybody's cup of tea, but it's important stories. And also, too, like Asian American films that just, you know, just you just don't see every now and then. Like you don't get to see how great Asian actors can be, Asian writers, Asian. De- this, if you want to talk about an Asian ass film, this film Asian as fuck. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Reynolds, Asian American. Annie Chang, uh, Taiwanese. Justin Chan, Asian American. Yeah. Right. This is an Asian American film about wow. an Asian American story. It's really fucking dope, man. Like, um, once again, if you don't like it, I get it. Give it a chance. Give it a go. Imagine uh, it was a story at the end. So. The beginning of the movie, he's deported to Korea, and then the movie's about him, his life in Korea. Yeah. That, that's Shang-Chi. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's why everybody hates you, bro. Well, guys, that wraps up this episode. You can find Ed at Ed Park VP on Instagram. Give him a follow, hit him up with questions. Uh, Genius Brains every Thursdays and Sundays up until this uh, end of December, January 1st, is when we start once a week but 
who knows? That's how it is right now. We got other big projects coming up, so I got to slow down. But I'm I'm not going to stop doing the podcast. You just won't get it twice a week now, uh, starting next year. Yeah. So thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll see you all next time. Peace. Peace. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.